0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Bethlehem Church Podcast, where our goal is to offer you compelling biblical content to equip you to live an empowered Christian life. Each week, you'll hear a message from our lead pastor, Matt Robinson, or another member of the Bethlehem team. We also host a conversation every week where we unpack different facets of Sunday's message. We're so excited about this message and we hope it's a blessing to you. Let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, go to Genesis 4, Uh, that's where we're going to be hanging out. And we're going to be talking, he kind of gave the farm away a little bit and that's okay, Uh, but we're going to be talking a little bit today about the topic of exile. And I think if you put this in your brain, I was thinking about this uh, this morning, sorry a little congested, my daughter's been sick all week and I've been praying that I don't catch it, and I got it. But it's not contagious, it's just a little sign of stuff. Um, So if you're in the front row, you're a little susceptible, but not bad. (laughs) Sorry, Steve. Um, But think about it this way, when we think about this idea of exile, and as we we walk through, you'll see that there's a couple different ways of thinking about it, Uh, but I want you guys to think about the Ukraine. Um, That's a very fresh topic, and I want you to think about uh, the droves of people leaving their homeland because they have no choice, and being refugees and foreigners in countries across Europe. Um, that, that picture in your brain uh, is a lot of what this topic is going to entail and what, what we're going to be talking about, obviously in a, in a different context. Um, but for the biblical writers, exile wasn't just an event. If you read the Old Testament, and I'm glad he uh, gave a shout out, I love the Old Testament very much. Uh, when I came to faith as a teenager, it just kind of came alive to me, and that's pretty much 90% of what I read when I read my Bible. Uh, That's probably strange to a lot of you, but I'm a strange guy, and that's just where it's at. (laughs) Um, But it's it's great. But there's two significant events in the Old Testament that really shape the conversation and shape uh, how everything comes together. One is the Exodus. If you've ever been to a Sunday school class ever, you know that the Lord led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he parted the Red Sea, all that good stuff. That's the first one, and the second one is the Exile where the same people were driven out of their land because they were evil, right? And so what I want you guys to think about with this concept is, yes, the exile was an event, but to the biblical writers, it is a state of mind, right? This is not just a one-time, one-off thing for them. Uh, the, the idea of exile and this theme is it permeates the whole story of Scripture. And what I want to show you this morning, yes, we've got some, some practical stuff. We're all here for the practical stuff, Right? How does this impact my life? How does this truth impact the way that I live? But I want, what I want you guys to see is that as we walk through this, there are very, when you read the Bible, if you have this in mind, you'll never read it the same because it's there. When you read the Psalms in the morning, it's there. When you read Genesis chapter 4, like page 2, 3 pages in, it's there. Mm, sorry, it's there. A <laughs> little hiccup. Um, but it's there. And so when we think about the exile, right? When it happened to the Israelites, Babylon came in and squashed them and took them all into captivity, and they were out of their land. And so, let's talk about Jesus for a second, because we're all here to talk about Jesus, right? It got so quiet, and everybody's like, yes, yes, let's talk about Jesus. Um, So, Jesus was baptized, right? And we baptize people here, and think about this for a second. Like, Jesus was baptized, people got baptized, probably before Jesus was ever even around, but yet, this is a It's a uniquely Christian practice that we have. And if we've ever given much thought into what that is, you kind of, you get it like, you know, you go down into the water, you come back up, and it symbolizes Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, right? But what did it mean before that? Because it existed decades before that event had ever happened. And so when we read our New Testament, the first uh, Mark chapter 1, I believe, I have here in in the program, Uh, it's there. Uh, Mark chapter 1 says this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the uh, for the forgiveness of sins, and all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, if you know this story, you know that uh, John the Baptist is quoting Isaiah 40. And Isaiah 40 is all about the people of God's return from exile. So there's something to this here. So let's put our thinking caps on for a second. Let this just sit in your brain. Listen, this is one of the most rewarding things about Bible study for me. I read and I will just sit in something for days and I will think about it. And I will think about its implications and, and would it and you just meditate on it. And it's, it's so good. So take, take these ideas and just ponder them. And I promise you, you'll be blessed by that. Um, so John the Baptist is quoting Isaiah 40. He's talking about the end of exile. So baptism, in and of itself, has to do with this idea of, of exile coming to an end. And you say, well, how, how does that work? You know, baptism's a it's a New Testament thing, right? So when the Israelites were delivered out of Egypt... What happened was they passed through the waters. And Israelite thinking, like, passing through the waters, like, that's what they did when they went out of Egypt. When God parted the waters, he brought order to the waters in Genesis 1. Like, all of these things are related. And so when He when they passed through the waters, the picture there is Egypt is always a, in the Old Testament, you always go down to Egypt, whether you're north or south of Egypt. That's just the way it's described. And that's because Egypt is viewed as like the underworld of the Old Testament. Can you tell they didn't like Egyptians? They're like, no, that place right there, that's hell. That's what we're going to call that, basically, is where they were at. And so when you go down out of Egypt, when you come up and you're brought through the waters, you're brought into the promised land where you have God's presence and where you have new life. And so this idea of, of passing through the waters carries into baptism. And it's tied to the end of exile. Because when the Israelites were in Egypt, they were in exile. They were a people that did not belong there. They were not from there. That was not the land that God had promised to their fathers. And so the picture here, when you pass through the waters, you are passing from death into life. That's what it was for the Israelites. That's what it is for us today. And so when John is baptizing people in the Jordan River... What they're doing is these people are coming and they're saying, hey, we're back in our land but the presence of God is still not here. We're we're here but it's not like it was when David was king. And so what we need is still, we're back in our land, we're not in Babylon or Persia anymore but we need release from bondage again. That's what baptism meant to people in the first century prior to Jesus coming. They would go to John and they would say, baptize me because I'm identifying with the fact that we need to be released again from exile. We need to pass through the waters again and, and have God's presence come back to our land. That's the, that's the picture here. And, so, and this, is, this is all introduction, I'm really sorry. Um, but that's the, that's the picture here, y'all, is that you know, when people are getting baptized, you're passing through the waters, you're passing from death to life. And Jesus is the ultimate form of the exodus. Jesus himself is an exodus from death into life. That's how all of this ties together. And so when we look at this, we have to see it, we have to see it from that perspective. We have to see it that the Israelites, or I'm sorry, the, well, yeah, they were Israelites, but they were in the frame of mind that, like, we need to, we need to be released from bondage again. And we all sit here today, and we all got, we all got problems, right? And yes... If we're believers in Jesus, we know that he has ultimately like eliminated our bondage. We are free people, right? But sometimes we get stuck in this frame of mind where we still live as though we are in exile. And so the practical implications of this today are what we're gonna see in the story is there there really are are two exiles in the picture that we're gonna talk about. One, unfortunately, if you've read the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, one doesn't stick around very long, so that's unfortunate. Um, but the other one, like, man, there's just a lot there as far as how, you know, how we live as exiles kind of, you know, permeates the, this thing of our lives. And so moving through here, what's, here's, and here's so Ukraine, right? It's in our brain. It's there. It's in the front. There are two types of exiles in the Old Testament or just in general. There may be more, but I've narrowed it down to two. Um, but one is where you, you're a stranger, to God's presence because of disloyalty. Deuteronomy 27, the Israelites had very, God was like, hey, listen, you're my covenant people now, it's all good, but if you do X, Y, Z, you're getting, you're, you're getting like out of the land. Like that's it, you're getting evicted. Plain and simple. And what you see in the exile is they were, you know, one of the reasons they were pushed out of the land is because they were murdering their own children. God was like, no, that's not happening. <laughs> you're out of here, dude. And that was it. And so there's, you become an exile because you were forcibly banished from your own country. And then, the Ukraine situation, becoming a stranger in our present world because of where our loyalty is. And that's, I think, where all of us are. None of y'all have been excommunicated from here yet, right? No hands went up. That was smart. Because um, <laughs> if you are, you don't spo- you're not supposed to be here. Um, but we're, we're all strangers in our present world. We're, we're just kind of passing through. And to kind of illustrate that idea... Uh, Hebrews 11 has this to say, "...therefore from one man and, uh, and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven," talking about Abraham, "...and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, the patriarchs, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar off, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth." Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these people that have gone before us, they all acknowledged, yes, I live here, but my identity and my purpose is not found on this rock that revolves around the sun. That's that's where they were. They viewed themselves as, I live here, but I'm not from here. I live here, but I'm not in Eden where I'm supposed to be, right? And if you've read, you know, the first couple pages, you know that God created everything and he put two people Uh, He created people, he put them in a garden, and then they got kicked out because they broke the rules. And so from that point forward, humanity is in exile from God's presence because God's presence was in Eden. That's where he lived. And so without that, right, after humanity sinned and was exiled from the garden east, after that, we're not living in God's presence, which means, guess what? We die. We are in, we have mortality because we are no longer living in the direct presence of God. And so, from the first two people forward, humanity, to one degree or another, has suffered because of this idea that we are exiled from God's presence. Now, as the church, his presence is here, right? Jesus is here in our midst, but he's also, he's coming again one day. And we will then be completely released from the bondage of our own exile. So, we are both in exile, and we are also out of exile. Does that make sense? It's kind of a both-and scenario. And so, but the New Testament and the Old Testament alike, it's kind of the Israelites, like they were God's people. And because they were God's people, they were waiting one day for him to return and set things straight. And so moving into the New Testament, we have Jesus. And John said, we looked at Jesus and we beheld the glory. His glory is the only begotten of the Father. Jesus coming and returning in the flesh, that was God's glory returning to his temple in the person of Jesus. He is the true presence of God, and because of him, we are free from exile. So let's jump into Genesis 4 here, now that we've kind of got that in your brain for introduction there. I promise I won't take forever. I've got seven pages of notes here, and I'm on page three. So we're good. We're moving. We're almost halfway there. Um, So a tale of two exiles. Genesis chapter four, verse one. Now the man, Adam, had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And so it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, and he did not for Cain's. So our first encounter with these two people, right? These are, the, these are the two first people born after humanity's been exiled. All they know is this way of life. They don't know any different. They don't know what it was like in the Garden of Eden because their parents got them kicked out of there. And after Adam and Eve had settled east of Eden somewhere and, and had children, this was all they knew. They were fending for themselves. This is where they were at. And so what they're doing here is, and worship has looked very different across a couple millennia, uh, but what they're doing here is, is offering sacrifices as a form of worship in the Old Testament specifically. And so what they're doing is they're, they're performing an act of worship to Yahweh. And what happens is you have in the text there, Cain brings an offering. Look at the language. This is, this is kind of where, where we'll, we'll see what the difference is here. Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Pretty cut and dry, right? He's a farmer. He brings what he has. It's pretty simple. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and all of their fat portions. Look at the, the extending amount of detail here of what Abel brought versus what Cain brought. And, you know, one guy brings vegetables, one guy brings steak. And God said, I'll take the steak. Take that, vegans, right? <laughs> Just had to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> And there's a, on a serious note, there's a lot of people that take that view that God was like, nah, meat's the way to go, man. Like, he likes that. He doesn't, you know, what, whatever. Um, <laughs> take a, a sip break here. But um, I'll be here all week, literally, because I work here. Um, <laughs> but um, so looking at this, though, it's not, about, it's not about the kind of offering that was brought. It's not about vegetables versus meat. It's not about one versus the other, or God not liking Cain and liking Abel. What matters here is the sincerity. And think, how many of you have ever, like, been, like, farmed before? Okay. So, most of you probably won't. I, I have not either. Just, you know, being transparent. <laughs> um, I was born and raised in bullies' quarters. So, there, we, there you go. Um, <laughs> got farms, but no livestock, really. Um, but think about it this way. Like, how much effort does it take to slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal from that right and and to bring not just like a meat like the what it's talking about here the fatty portions like that was like if you're killing a cow like you're bringing you're bringing the most expensive thing to the table here right and so the contrast that's drawn here the text is is pretty clear like hey Cain grows things and he just he picked up some stuff and brought it and Abel he keeps livestock and he brought stuff but he brought the best that he had he put time, effort, and energy into this thing. He probably it probably took him days. And Cain, I, I identify a lot with him because he probably woke up and was like, "Oh man, it's Sunday. I gotta. What am I gonna? Whoo, there we go. Like, what am I what am I gonna bring for worship today? All right, let me run outside. I'm gonna grab some carrots, grab some cabbage. That's good stuff, right? He can God can make a soup or something out of that, right? Like that's you know, Cain probably overslept. He was probably the last one to the worship session, right? And then he gets there and he's just He's like, well, here you go, right? And Abel's like, nah, man, I spent, you know, (laughs) this meat's been marinating for weeks. You know, I've been excited to present this gift to the Lord. And as we look at this, like, God did not receive Cain's offering. He did not receive it. And we'll see kind of how the story unfolds, how big of a deal that was. But Cain just brought some stuff he dug up. Abel brought the best that he possibly could. So, let me draw the contrast here, because this is gonna, gonna, it's going to kind of be the table that we play from from here on out. What's the difference between being in exile, right? Because they were both in exile, both of them born outside of Eden, both of them children of the same parents, both of them worshiping the same God. So what is the difference between living in exile and just being in exile? Does that make sense? There's a difference, and it's a difference that is shown between these two guys. The difference, number one, is sincerity. How do you, how do I know if I'm living in exile, if that's my reality that I'm faced with, and I'm just choosing, choosing to live there? You know, it's like people that choose to be upset all the time. It's like the people that you don't want to ask how their day was because you know it's going to be like, I'm going to be here for a half hour. Oh, man, let me tell you, I woke up and I had this bump on my back, and ever since, I just, you know, it's... It's just one of those things, and you're like, wow, that's crazy, man, and they just keep going, and listen, as a pastor here, like, if you have woes, please come to me with your woes. It's totally fine, <laughs> totally fine. I will never use you as an illustration. It's, you know, it's totally cool, but but think about the, you know, sitting in that and 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 allowing your, you know, your the reality that you perceive around you to shape who you are as a person, and we're all shaped by our reality and our, our personal experiences to a certain extent, but but there is a truth that transcends all of that. One of these brothers understood that, and one of them did not. And what that produces is if you're living as an exile, is it produces insincerity, right? And on a, like a micro, micro level, it's like when you tell somebody that you're going to be praying for them and you never do. You all get it because you've all done it, Right? You know, but when we, when we are living in that frame of mind, like, we're just, we're down in our dumps, we're in this filth, and it's just like, whatever, I just, you know, I come to church, and it is what it is, you know, there, there's no sincerity, right? If we're not living with a 10,000-foot perspective of a transcendent reality that, that goes beyond what we can see with our two eyes, we're going to be living in exile, we're going to be living in this mess, but Abel was not. Abel was like, I'll spend, I'll spend a couple days prepping this thing. I'll put, a, you know, I'll put a good gift together, not because I'm going to get anything out of it, but because I just, I want to sincerely worship the Lord. And when was the last time any of us in here were sincerely in a, in a heart of worship? And I'm not talking about singing specifically. And I can say that because I really don't like to sing. I'm just being transparent. <laughs> like, that's not my thing. But when was the last time that you were sitting in your car or you were sitting at home at night and you were just like, man. God, you are so good. Not because of what I have sitting around me as a, a, an American in the 21st century, but because just of, of I am just in awe of who you are and what you've done in our world, in our midst. And if you haven't been there in a while, you're living in exile. If you haven't been there in a while, the good news is you can be there. But you've got to get out of that funk mentally. I was, um, this kind of ties in, I was working on my car yesterday And for those of you who do or don't know, it's a very large paperweight I have sitting in my driveway right now. It's a 1995 Eclipse GSX. It's all-wheel drive, turbo, super sweet, uh, but it's a brick. Uh, So at some point in five years, it may be nice. We'll never know. Uh, Ask me in five years. Thank you, Mike Beard, wherever you're sitting. Um, There he is. He was like, man, I got this. You know, I'm trying to get my house straight, and I just got this car sitting in my driveway. And I was like, really? You got a car sitting in your driveway that you don't want, huh? I was like, well, me and uh, where's Jason? I was like, Jason, get your car trailer. We're going to go pick that thing up. And it has not ran. I've had it for about a year. Um, But yesterday, I put it up on blocks, and I pulled the fuel pump out of it because that's the issue. And I pulled that thing out. I wish I had a picture. I should have put it in the thing. But, boy, it was nasty. It has been sitting in bad gas for, like, seven years, maybe more. And if you know anything about ethanol, you know that it does not treat metal or anything else. It touches very kindly. But this thing, <laughs> Ryan's like, I get that. I- I'm tracking with you. We get each other. Um, but I pulled this thing out, and it was nasty. And it's one thing like to occasionally have bad fuel, right? It's another thing to sit in it for almost a decade. What that does to it is it kills it. And some of you are that fuel pump. Some of you have been sitting in this mess of a perspective for so long that you cannot see your way out of it. Some of you have been my project car. And you get neglected. And your HOA doesn't like you. Just kidding. Um, but but um, <laughs> they did send, uh, well, they sent out just a generic letter. And it was like, just a reminder, all vehicles must be able to start on demand. Tires must be inflated. Or, or you know, or we could tow the vehicle. And I was like, well, have fun towing it because it's on blocks. Um, <laughs> but anyway. Um, but listen, stupid fuel pump, right? Very stupid thing, stupid car. Curse it every day until it runs. Um, But some of you are living in that reality where you've been just soaking. I mean, you've been soaking in bad stuff for for so long, like, you're living in it. Like, you're not just passing through. Like, you you, you put down roots, and, like, that's it. But you gotta get out of that. The difference between Cain and Abel is Cain was sitting in the bad gas, and Abel was not. Like, Abel was the running car (laughs) in this scenario. So number one, um, What is a byproduct of living in exile? Insincerity and worship and a lack of sacrifice. There were two things going on here, worship and sacrifice. And these two things were were pretty much the same. Um, But what we have to think about is like it was like it it hit his pockets when Abel gave this. And for Cain, it was just kind of like gardens just grow stuff. Like there's really not... You plant. <laughs> I'm not a gardener. I can't be talking like this. If you garden and you're like, I can't believe he would say that. I'm really sorry. I'm just ignorant. Um, but but the picture here is very clear. You you can't disagree with me. Um, but one one like it hit him in his pockets. Like he it hit him really hard to do that. Like that was you know he could have fed his family with that. And one just was totally disregarded. And I think that like what's missing a lot of times in our lives is we we underestimate how good it, how much good it does us when we sacrifice when we sacrifice our time to minister to somebody else when we sacrifice doing something that we want so we can do something for our spouse or our significant other right when we don't when we stop sacrificing we are sitting we are sitting in exile when all we can think about is ourselves because when we really get down to it like that's just it Cain was selfish he wasn't willing to be sincere He wasn't willing to be be sacrificial, right? But don't let that be you. A lot of people, we read the Bible and we're like, I need to do X, Y, Z like King David. And I'm telling you to look at it like, hey, whatever they're doing, don't do it. Like, it's not a good thing. Like, do not sit in this mess that you're in. And if you want to get out of it, cultivate a desire and cultivate a mindset of sincere worship, number one. And number two, Cultivate a spirit of sacrifice in your own life. How many of you know it feels good to sacrificially give to something? Whether it's your time, whether it's your money, whatever. Whatever you give to the Lord, like it feels really good, and it gives life to you. Yes, it's a sacrifice. Yes, it takes up your valuable time and resources, but man, man, it feels good. It feels like you're doing what you were created to do, right? So have sincere, sacrificial worship. To have an abundance of these two means that we understand the circumstances that are around us don't dictate how we respond, right? If we're, abu- if we're living in that, if we're living with this idea of being sincere and sacrificing, we, we understand that what is around us, the circumstances that befall us, like they don't define us. You know, we're going we're gonna to continue to push forward whether <laughs> whether what goes on around us, you know, likes that or not. And to lack that is to allow our circumstances to control our conduct, some of you are in a place where everything that happens to you in your life, it dictates what everything else. It snowballs, right? I would have been in church if fill in the blank, things that we hear every week, right? And I'm not hating on you if you're watching online, whatever camera's looking at me right now. Um, but you know, we make up excuses for things because we allow our our circumstances to dictate what we do with our time. We just do, and so choose to be in control of how you respond. You, don't, you can't control your circumstances, right? There's only so much that we can do in this life to really control what happens, and any of us who have been around for any length of time, I'm 26, so some of y'all are looking at me like, you have no idea, <laughs> and I don't. I'm very privy to that. Um, <clears throat> but there's only so much we can do, right? We can't control our circumstances, but we can control how we respond to our circumstances. Moving through the story here. Two exiles, same circumstances, two different responses. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? I look at Cain in this. I, I work with uh, teenagers, so I look at him kind of like the, the, the junior higher or high schooler, depending on your maturity level, where he's like, why are you angry? Why is, why, is your, why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And God goes to Cain and he's like, hey man, why are you upset? you know, and Cain's probably sitting there like, I'm not upset, you know, any of you who have teenagers, hey, what's wrong, nothing, (laughs) you hear it all day long, it's the same thing, like, Cain is that teenager, okay, God's like, hey, man, like, you know, it doesn't have to be this way, like, you know, he's like, I don't have a problem, you know, (laughs) like, it's it's the same, it's the same mood. And so there's some dialogue happening here. And by the way, like some of us in this room are like, man, I wish, I wish God would just tell me what to do sometimes. And I'm with you, right? But let's pause and think about the story here for a second where God is communicating with Cain. And Cain says, nah, man, I'm not doing that. Like, we don't get it. Like whether God is right in front of you and says, hey, you shouldn't do that or you should do that, it's not gonna make a difference to us. He's in here, right? He's talking to you. But we choose not to hear it, you know. And so for, for all of you who have ever thought that, here's a prime example of an example, or an example of an example, uh, of a scenario where that just doesn't go well. Doesn't go how you'd think it would. So here's the downside for both exiles, right? You have Abel, good dude, sacrificially gives. He's sincere in his worship. He's just a good guy from, from what you get from the text. He's got like three verses, very little screen time. Um, you know, there's him and then there's there's his brother who's got the bad junior higher attitude, right? They were both created in God's image. They were both created to rule over God's good world. Genesis 128, like that is the dominion mandate. Mankind was created and God said, hey, this little Eden that I'm putting you in, I want you to take that and I want you to make the whole world good like that. Like that's what we were created to do. Fast forward like, you know, a couple hours later, we've messed up. And here we are in a position where God says this at the end of the verse. He says, uh, if you do not well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. We've gone from being given dominion and rulership over God's good world in partnership with him to now having to rule over our own sin is our task. And all of you who are sitting here are like, yeah, that's pretty difficult. Yeah, I have a really hard time telling myself No. I had, I personally, we went to McDonald's last night. We were here at the church, and I was like, babe, how do you feel about McDonald's? And she was like, I don't feel good about it, but I feel good about it, so let's go to McDonald's, you know? And we did, and I'm reaping the consequences in how I wake up today. It's like a McDonald's hangover. Can I say that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, sidebar, but we're, we're in a position now where we have been, like, we have downgraded ourselves to ruling God's good world to just trying to keep up with the messes that we create, right? I don't know about you guys, but I make a lot of poor choices and make a lot of mistakes. I just do. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. Um, Sorry, you're in here. You asked for it. Um, But, you know, that's just where we are. And so how do we deal with that? How do we do that? Well, earlier in the verse, God says, if you do well. Now, if we look at the vocabulary there, if if you read Hebrew, which I know pretty much nobody does that these days, because it's been a dead language for a long time, um, at least this form of it. Um, but the the word used to do well is, uh, let me see if I can read that here, it's, it's tetev, uh, which means to do well, basically. Um, but that word is related to the word tov, which means good. Hang with me here, this is important, hang with me. So that word is used like a bajillion times in Genesis 1 and 2 to describe what God is doing, God's good world. He looked at mankind and said, it is very, very good. Or it is very, yeah, very good. Uh, in Hebrew, it's tov tov. They just say it twice, and it's like, that means it's awesome. Um, but um, that's, that's kind of where that language is coming from. So God's like, listen, if you do good, if you do tov, if you're working to, to, you know, to get back to where we were, right, because they're in exile, and God's like, if you just do well, If you just do what I've called you to do, I created you to bring the goodness of Eden to the whole world. If you just do that, like, you'll be fine. But if you don't do that, sin is crouching at your door. And for all of us here, none of us existed a couple millennia ago or whenever this scenario actually happened, but all of us today have the same responsibility. We want to spread the goodness of God to the whole world. That is our goal. Our goal as humans, we should be little micro Edens everywhere we go. We should be little, little things that contain God's God's presence to go about the world and we share His goodness with people. We, when they look at us, we're like, man, I, you know, that guy's kind of funky, but he's a happy dude, right? Like, you know, like that's that's what we should be. And you don't have to be weird. I'm weird. Not everybody's like that. i am just kind of, you know, there's a period of denial where you're like, I'm not that weird guy. And then there's, you kind of get past that, and you're like, I am that weird guy, and I'm just okay with it, you know? I, just, I embrace it. I embrace it now. Um, but, but be a micro Eden. Cain, or God said, listen, Cain, I know you're in exile. I know that you're not where you thought you would be, and you're looking at it from the perspective of, like, my parents messed this up. If it were me, I wouldn't have made the same mistakes. And I'm sure there was some bitterness there, and I'm sure there was some hard feelings. And he's like, you don't understand, God. Why are we in exile Why do I have to work my fingers to the bone to give you vegetables that you reject? Ooh, strong feelings, right? Think about that. Think about his perspective on the situation. Think about what he's going through in his frame of mind. And God's like, listen, man, if you would just do well, if you would just do good, if you would just stick with the original plan, you wouldn't be feeling this way. And all of us here are struggling with something something today. All of us, none of us have perfect, perfect lives, we've all got issues, we've all got family, family drama, right, job issues, you know, my boss is in the back, I can't say anything right now, hit me afterwards, my wife is the HR department, I'm stuck, y'all, I'm stuck. <laughs> There's no way out, no way out at all. Um, but listen, we've all got these things, and the answer to all of them is just to do well to sacrifice, to, have a, to live in a spirit of sacrifice, to, live in a, to worship sincerely, and to be the kind of people that God has created us to be, right? Nobody buys a car. I'm using a lot of car illustrations this morning. I don't know why. Nobody buys a car and then puts the opposite kind of oil in it that the owner's manual calls for, but yet we fill our lives every day we fill up we fill ourselves up with things that are anti-Eden, that are anti what God wants for us humans and we wonder why we feel like crap. Good stuff, good stuff. We we wonder why when we're not living in God's will when we're not living with a mindset that's actively pursuing that, we wonder why we're miserable. We wonder, we read the <clears throat> my mom, I don't know if my mom's watching, but she always read the People magazine, right? She probably still does. Um, but all these people that have all this money that that are in magazines, and gosh, I would not want my life publicized like that, Um, but like they have all this money. They're still miserable. Why? Because they're not doing well. Why? Because their life revolves around them and not what God wants for them, and what God wants for all of us is for us to all live a fulfilling life that is centered around serving others and worshiping him, and that looks different for all of us, but are you doing well? Is your goal in life to hoard and get more for yourself? Or is it to sacrifice and service to others? Are you sacrificially serving your wife or your husband? Are you sacrificially serving your children? Children, are you sacrificially obeying and serving your parents? Where are they at? Are my teens in here? Not many of them in here today. Some of y'all ain't doing that. All of y'all ain't doing that. Okay. <laughs> but listen, and my wife's back there. She's like, yeah, okay. You sacrificially serve me. I see, and I don't as much as I should, granted, but I try, because um, she's going to keep me honest. But, but listen, does your life revolve around you? Very simple question. If the answer is yes to that, guess what? You're living in exile. You're sitting in the bad gas. And guess what? What's going, destroy you, what's going to destroy you is not something else. It's you. You will destroy you. And then you will go down complaining about your circumstances and how it's everybody else's fault. Why would God do this to me? It's because you've been sitting in your state of mind for too long. It's because you've been sitting day after day, week after week. My life sucks. Why does this never change? Why does God do this to me? Why does my fill-in-the-blank treat me this way? Right For me, it's my dog. Why does my dog treat me the way that he does? <laughs> seriously. But, but seriously, like if you're there... Understand that the way to get out of that is to start to do well, is to start to cultivate a life that worships, is to start to sacrifice to other people that are not you. Uh, number two, when things get hard, choose loyalty. That's, it's as simple as that. You know what gets you into exile? Being disloyal. Deuteronomy 27 lays out, hey, these are all of the things that you cannot do, otherwise you will be booted out of the land, and they did all those things. Right? They were disloyal. They were put into exile. And if we are loyal, we will not be. It's very simple. Like where is your loyalty this morning? And I'm not saying that you're all gonna get like kicked out of your homes. That's not what I'm saying, obviously. Um, but but where is your loyalty this morning? Where where is your allegiance placed? Who do you work for, metaphorically speaking? I don't need job shout-outs right now. But if you're hiring, let me know. I got some people that I know that are looking for work. Um, but Though we live in a world that is corrupted by sin, it is our responsibility as the church to be a micro-Eden. That's like, be loyal. Where is your loyalty? Your loyalty dictates how you respond to things. We don't conquer evil, right? We're looking at the life of Cain. We don't conquer evil by destroying it, by being the better person in warfare, right? Think about war. But by letting it fade away as the gospel continues to work itself out through love in our world. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that nonsense, like the wars that happen every day around the world, none of that ever solves problems. It just doesn't. Giving somebody else a piece of your mind because you're really feeling up to it today doesn't solve any problems. It just creates more, right? If we were truly interested in solving our problems, if we were truly interested in being the bigger person, we would lead with love. That's the first point of Bethlehem's Creed, we lead with love. That's, that's the thing. Allow love to let all of the evil fade away. Allow love in your marriage, regardless of how, how you feel your spouse feels about you, like just love them. Just sacrificially serve them and see the difference that happens. With your children, just love them. And, and I, what I don't mean is, is spoil your children. That's not what I'm saying, right? Because there's, you know, parents in here, you all know what's up with your children. You really do. Um, but, but love your children, The Bible says that, you know, fathers, like, don't don't stir up wrath in your children. Like, don't create more problems. Don't create more strife. Just love. Just lead with love. So the consequences of living in exile. We're almost done. So you guys know the story. Cain told his brother Abel, and it came about when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you were cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain's getting exiled again. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. All of a sudden, he's concerned, right? (laughs) Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. And I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. It's like he's repeating exactly what God just said. And whoever, just lost my spot here. Hold up, hold up. Okay, here we go. Uh, Whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, or Nod, east of Eden, and Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch, and he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. So that's kind of the end of the text that we're going to read, and this is like lightning round. We're wrapping up here. This like The culmination uh, of these ideas is here. Let me just, this is in my notes. You won't see it, but let me just say this. Like Cain was concerned for his life, and God said, oh, okay, you're concerned for your life. I'll mark you so nobody kills you. God's desire, when he, when he disciplines us, when he punishes us, his intention is never to harm us. God does not do what he does in your life because he wants to cause you harm. And I think a lot of us think that because that's just culturally like how we view God, that he's like the guy in the sky who's watching our every move, and when we mess up, he's gonna hit us, you know, hit us over the head with something. But that's not it. His intent isn't to harm us. He wanted Cain to see the gravity of his decision, and he wanted to discipline him in a way that would change the course of his actions. But ultimately, his goal wasn't to harm him. God just wanted to right the situation. You know what I mean? And I think, I think that's just really good perspective. If you're, if you're missing that in your mind, if you view God that way, understand that even in a very dark circumstance like this, like Cain could have been wiped out. But that's not what God did, right? His intention is never to harm. So here's some interesting stuff. Cain settles in the land of Node. Which in Hebrew means wandering, which is funny because God said that He would be a wanderer, which is the Hebrew word "nod." There's like some word wordplay going on here. Um, so, one of the the ultimate end to living in exile, right? We're wrapping up. The ultimate end here is wandering with no real purpose, desperately creating twisted imitations of what Jesus wants for our lives. And if you go to the program, I've got like a ton of stuff that I cited in there that I'm not going to read because it would take forever, but it really helps give you a full picture. Uh, so go read that later this afternoon. But basically, what Cain is doing, he messes up, he gets exiled again, right? And the picture is that Eden is, is is portrayed as this mountain garden thing, and Adam is exiled east, and then Cain is exiled even further east, and it's as if he's just on a downward, it's like downward from Eden summon, all the way to the bank, right? That's, that's what happens. And so... Cain, you know, he comes to his senses in the discussion. He's like, oh, my gosh, what have I done? My punishment, it's, it's, it's far greater than I could ever bear. And God kind of is like, all right, we'll, we'll give you a mark. Nobody's going to kill you, but get out of here, you know, kind of that thing. And Cain leaves, and, and him and his wife have children, and he names a city after his son. And he builds a city. And Cain's, uh, his children and his grandchildren are kind of credited with uh, some societal developments like metalworking and music and some of these things. Um, but what Cain does, guys... And this is like, when we're reading the picture, like, literally, kind of with the theme of it, what Cain is doing is he's recreating the Garden of Eden scenario with his own methods. In the ancient Near East, you're, you attained eternal life through your lineage. You lived on through your children. He says, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna build a city that offers the same protections that Eden did for my parents, and I'm gonna name it after my son. So even after I'm long gone, my legacy will live on. I will attain Eternal life will be lost in the garden, and I will attain protection and development and all of these good things that a city has to offer, and I don't even need God for that. The ultimate end to, to living in exile, not being in exile, but to living in exile, living in the mess, the ultimate end is that you end up a wanderer, a wanderer who tries to fabricate and create falsehoods that look like what God wants for your life, but, but it's just garbage. It's like when Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he says, you guys are a bunch of graves that are painted white. You look nice on the outside, but on the inside you're just full of bones. You're full of death. And there's some gravity there. And if we're not careful, right, and this is why, and once again, there's a fine line that we walk, right, between being in exile and living in exile. It's a fine line. And that's why it's important when you look at your life and you look at how these things play out, like, oh my gosh, you know, am I Am I worshiping sincerely? Am I selfish? Like, these are signs that, that you're living in it. You're not just a part of it. You're, you're contributing to that system. You're contributing to your exile. And what that leads to is an endless state of wander. What else comes from that? Number Point number two out of three, and then we're done. A family wrecked by sin. If you guys look at, at Cain's lineage in the end of the chapter, I know I'm going long, really sorry, um, but I'm almost done, promise. Um, when you look at Cain's lineage, his grandson is a guy named Lamech. And there's some stuff in there in the program that you can read about that, but Lamech was basically like a warlord. Like, he was like the first of its kind. Like, he was very, like, you thought Cain was a sick dude. His grandson, Lamech, was even worse. You know, and he there's like a poem where he, like, you know, he's kind of telling his wives about how he killed a young man. And he deserved it. And it's like, it's like this whole sick, twisted thing. Um, and, you know, the whole, the societal progress piece for all of these, you know, you have the line of Seth who was born after uh, Abel was killed. And, you know, his line isn't credited with anything. And then you have Cain's line where they're like, yeah, city building, music, metalworking, all of the things that make a society what it is. They come from Cain. And guess what? They're all tainted. They're all tainted by our own sin. And what is produced from this life of exile, what is produced from living with Cain, or living as Cain, so to say, is a family wrecked by sin. It's a legacy that is tainted. It is a legacy. We, we all want to leave behind something for our kids, right? Whether it's money or, or just a good, a good family name. But if you want that and you're living in exile, this is what you will pass down. You will pass down sin and corruption. You will not pass down the good things, right? Nobody will remember you by what you wanted. What they will remember is the reality. And that's a, boy, that's a big thing for those of us who have young or even older kids. Like, they're your future. the <laughs> Gen Z, the future of our, of our country, right? And that's a scary thought for some of you. You're like, oh my goodness. You know, we really messed up with this one. I would disagree. I love you, Gen Z. But um, anyway, but, but think about that. The implications of living in exile are that not just your life being a mess, not just your life being a, a, a product of, of poor choices that you made, but what grows from that, generations and generations later. And what stems from Lamech is a couple chapters later, you've got the flood. God looked at the world and said, their hearts, their, their thoughts are evil continually. We're, you know, we've got to hit a reset button here. Like, think about, and Cain, Cain was probably in the mindset, like, I'm just doing me, man, I'm just living my life the way that I want to. It's nobody else's business. How many times have we heard that? When you're like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. And they're like, ain't your business. It's just my business. It doesn't affect anybody but me. And that's what Cain said. And guess what? What happened with his lineage was everybody's business. Right? Like our choices are not confined to us. And the things that we do will impact not just us, but generations farther. And so today... My notes are kind of cut off here, and so today, what I want to, um, what I want to kind of land on here is, is just thinking about this idea, and I want you to ask yourself this question, and again ponder these things. But are you living in exile, or are you just an exile? Because all of us are exiles. All of us are estranged from God's presence to some degree, and we're waiting for Jesus to return, and we're waiting for the ultimate exodus. But. Are we hoping for that, or are we just kind of surrounded by the funk that we have going on this morning? Let's, let's challenge ourselves with this this morning, <laughs> just by way of review. And there's some, again, there's some stuff in the uh, program here. And the last thing, listen, we'll end with this. Don't settle for cheap imitations, right? We all think the stuff from wish.com looks good, but when it comes in the mail, it's really no good, right? It's just not. But, <laughs> but listen... If we choose to live in exile, your life will be the wish.com version of what it could be. Don't be the wish.com version of what you could be. Thanks for tuning in for this message on the Bethlehem Church Podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. If you want to know more about us, feel free to check out our website at BethlehemChurch.cc and also in every message that we publish, you'll find our sermon notes in the description and we hope that you'll study these topics further. We'll see you next time.